1: Welcome to episode 115 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am Mandy Stewart. How on earth are you?
0: I'm okay. What I want to say though is just moments before we sat down to record here, I did cut my finger. Uh, oh so no.
1: I'm bleeding a fair amount. Like, is it arterial or is it more of a seeping thing? It's
0: paper cut. Level. In fact, it's paper cut. So uh, it's quite it's quite poor. But uh, it's uh, it's certainly bleeding as we speak. And it's uh, stingy. It's stinging.
1: Paper cuts are bastards. They're like such disproportionate pain for the level of injury that you get.
0: Mm-hmm. Still yeah. not coming close to the sorest pain on Earth, which is, of course, standing on a plug.
1: <laughs> Agreed. So... Uh, If you've been paying attention to the feeds this week, you'll have noticed that we've had to improvise a little bit. If you have tuned in (laughs) looking forward to us talking Tales from the Crypt with Rob Savage, you are going to have to wait a week or two more for that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we said... um Due to being an extremely busy man, Rob had to cancel last minute, so we thought, hey, let's just do the Andy Mitch episode that, let's be fair, was probably going to come in the next week or two anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, when we inevitably ran out of guests, we were probably going to do this sooner or later, it may as well be now. So we do have a couple of cool things coming up this month, Uh, kind of already got a couple of really cool things lined up that are going to be great. Right now, though, you have to settle for an Andy versus Mitch episode. So, very recently, indeed, it was my selection, and I chose *Rec 3 Genesis, which I think history will remember as my most successful defending of any film ever.
0: I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, certainly the one that I think I've enjoyed the most.
1: I would also make the contention that the bar is very low <laughs> on that one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're fucking terrible.
1: Yeah, I'm not great. Um, so it is back to you and you had this one lined up for ages. So hmm. you have gone for uh Beyond the Door.
0: I have, yeah. The 1974's Beyond the Door.
1: Right, okay. So I have one question to begin with. Obviously, this is, exists on Amazon Prime as well uh, as The Evil Within Her. Is that right?
0: Something, something like that. They, something within her. Anyway, the yeah, yeah sequel, The Devil or the, Within Her. Something like the that. Devil um, is, the Devil Within the Her. The Devil Within Her. The
1: Devil Within Her. Okay, I was out by one consonant. Um, so, yeah, that film's out there. Um. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. My question for you is, who the fuck do you think you are? An hour and 50 minutes. <laughs>
0: I think the question should more be, who the fuck do the filmmakers, or in this case, video Asinaitis, who, by the way, produced The Visitor? Okay,
1: okay, I'm seeing a trend, I'm seeing a trend here. Yeah, who the hell does he think he is? Um, William Friedkin is my answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, tell us a little bit about why you chose Beyond the Door this week, and why you were so sure that this was going to be the one that you were going to go for.
0: Because uh, it's a fucking hoot from start to finish. It's an absolute hoot. It's filled with insane characters doing insane things. It's filled with possibly my my favorite child character in any film ever.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking of which one you mean, but we'll uh, get to it.
0: <laughs> and it's just such a wonderfully brazen rip off of a far superior film that it just fills me with joy. I just think it's an absolute roller coaster of madness from its. First frame to its last, and I just think it's, there's something really charming and fun about it.
1: Okay, yeah, I mean, I mean, this makes sense. When did you see it for the first time?
0: Oh, many moons ago. Many, many moons ago. Well, I see many moons ago. um, Probably about 20 years ago. Okay. And then I've seen it a handful of times since, and I've obviously got the new Arrow video, or the most recent Arrow video Blu-ray. There's other Blu-rays and DVDs of this out there, and uh, other companies have picked up the, inverted commas, sequels, which are just other films that have being rebranded with Beyond the Door.
1: I Um, see, okay, so So somebody somewhere thought there was franchise potential here. Oh, for
0: sure, for sure, yeah.
1: That's kind of intriguing enough in and of itself. Now, one thing that does have to happen when it's an Andy versus Mitch rather than a Mitch versus Andy episode, if you like, when it's your selection, is that I have to become Master of Time, and in the spirit of that, I have put 30 seconds on the clock. Hmm, yeah. So, are you ready to give us your best 30-second synopsis of Beyond the Door? I think so... Three, two, one, go.
0: Beyond the Door is the story of a woman called Jessica who has recently found out that she's pregnant. Uh, Sadly, the baby has grown at an exponential rate, an accelerated rate, uh, much to the confusion of her husband and her doctor. Um, What happens then is just really the story of The Exorcist. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I love the fact that for a second there I thought you were getting really bogged down in over explanation and then you just ended it very abruptly. Uh, you finished with eight seconds to spare there. Oh, good, good. And yeah, all the necessary scene setting done there. I really like the intro to this film, when you open on the blank screen with a disembodied voice, presumably of the devil.
0: Well, it is the voice of the devil, uh, and I don't know if you had the subtitles on, but they helpfully tell you that it's the devil. (laughs)
1: Okay. You know what I hate? Ambiguity. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, the subtitles here are clarifying everything for you. And I think it's a bold decision to have the film start with the devil introducing proceedings... Um, not just introducing Proceedings, but boasting about not only his involvement in the story, but his involvement in the film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah, plays a very important part in proceedings. Yeah, yeah,
0: he does, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, to, to, to use his own words. Well, that's the thing about the devil,
0: Mitch. He's a notorious bragger. That's
1: very true, amongst other things. But yeah, yeah, most famously uh, boastful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we pan to a woman in a white gown and matching headband with a naked woman before her on a tastefully underlit work surface. <laughs>
0: sure, sure, sure. Who
1: um, temporarily transforms into a Jesus-y man and then uh, flees. Yeah, or at least part, the standing woman, please. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. This part feels like it was lifted right out of the visitor.
1: Uh yeah, it does. It also it has the distinct air of an afterthought. I'm assuming that it isn't, but the look and feel of it is so wildly different from everything else.
0: Yeah, I remember when I was talking earlier about kind of world winds of madness and how it's just one mad thing after another. This is really the first mm-hmm. thing. unless you count the film being introduced by the devil, which is actually the devil playing himself, by the way.
1: Oh, cool! Oh, cool! So it was actually his voice.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. A, it wasn't some actor playing. It wasn't like I- Al Pacino.
1: Oh, well that's reassuring. So the woman escapes, stopping only to have a brief encounter with a man that we learn is uh, Dimitri.
0: Dimitri, yeah, yeah, played by Richard Johnson from Zombie Flesh Eaters.
1: Yes, uh, who is immediately chided by um, another disembodied demonic voice, again of the devil, uh, for letting her escape. Now, for a first-time viewer, this was very confusing. So he is driving his car, presumably in pursuit of the woman. Um,
0: either that, or just enjoying a lovely drive through the Italian you kind know, of landscape.
1: Oh, yeah, I was just ha- yeah, having a drive, but yeah, the uh, the demon voice basically makes him crash his car and says that he has a very short window of time to uh, relocate this woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by that, I mean find her. I don't mean move her to a different home and expedite the birth of the devil baby that she is presumably incubating.
0: Yes, that's that, that's correct, yeah. And in, in, in return for doing this, uh, the devil will stop him dying and grant him more years of life.
1: Yes. At this point, the film does resort to um, a very shopworn trait of films of this nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the obligatory demonic funk break...
0: Yeah, yeah, the, one of the greatest songs ever. This is bargain with the devil that we're hearing here.
1: Yes, uh-huh. um, uh huh. Yeah, I kind of like I like mid-paced but lively, exuberant funk number. I would say about making a deal with the devil.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's superb. For my money, it's one of the best songs in Italian horror cinema. Uh,
1: that's difficult to argue with. Um, the session, however, is stopped by a permanent mustachioed white man who obviously has very valuable opinions on funk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at Robert Barrett here.
1: Robert Barrett.
0: Well, a protagonist of sorts. I'd say he's a protagonist, um, but what he actually is is a very antagonistic record producer. He's an arsehole. (laughs) <laughs> he's an absolute asshole. Like up until later in the film, when he's got a lot of kind of, I guess, weight on his shoulders.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more emotional heavy lifting to do, I guess, in the later part of this. But certainly um, in
0: the first few scenes, he's an absolute asshole to his wife, to his kids, to just about everyone, to his fish.
1: Oh yeah, like like, like every every day, Robert, if you like, hmm. uh, kind of like standard issue, average Tuesday, Robert is a dick.
0: But. We do know that he is a high-flying record producer. Perhaps he has to be. I mean, this is there's big money at stake here.
1: It's a cutthroat industry, famously. Um, you, you would know. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. We do realise that he is uh, he's Jessica's husband because we have seen Jessica uh, driving on her way to pick him up from work with her two kids, who we'll get to.
0: Yeah, we have also seen her shopping in the supermarket. Uh, we've seen a lot of her over the credits.
1: Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I did actually feel like I was watching this for a really long time and it was just her going about her errands.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 just uh, aisle to aisle to aisle. I could have done with some of the speed of Supermarket Sweep. That would have been nice. But yeah, just quickly returning to Robert and how much of a dick he is to these extremely talented musicians who have an amazing song. It's just not quite good enough for Robert. And what he's really wanting is he wants the song to have more balls because he feels at this point it has about as much balls, I believe he says, as a castrated jellyfish. And then goes on to comment on uh, tools when in fact he is the tool.
1: He is indeed the tool in this situation. I think that that is undeniable. But he heads outside at the end of a long day and i love the fact that when he gets into the car with jessica after failing to hurdle it oh, to jump into the open top vehicle
0: that's so so funny when he tries to hurdle into the car and doesn't make it
1: i know it sells soul right out of the gate as well though doesn't it <laughs> but um he immediately starts talking about what a hard day he's had at the office when so basically what he's been doing has been like ordering around people who are far more talented than him
0: but then he launches into a discussion about how great his day has been because he has spoken to his secretary who he believes is about to lose her virginity tonight and that's the best thing ever And Jessica, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Maybe she'll stop being so hysterical on the phone.
1: Yeah, they obviously think that uh, it logically follows that she's going to have a more reserved phone manner fucked into her by an anonymous suitor. (laughs) Which did strike me as odd. Crucially, though, at this point, they, uh, they take off in the car and the kids start talking to each other. Now, this was disorientating to me for a number of reasons, right? Because, for one thing, the kids' dialogue is so badly kind of, like, dubbed in ADR that I, I couldn't tell if they were actually talking to each other or not. or if it was, like, you know, like, when you see kids or animals communicate with each other just through like voices in their heads like look who's talking yeah like that right so i couldn't tell if it was that or (laughs) if they were actually talking to each other and we also find out that these kids might be old people because they're called gail and ken
0: characters from coronation street (laughs)
1: literally yes Gail's yeah. hilarious. She talks. Uh, she talks in jive. I actually, that's so funny. I wrote this down. I said that she talks like the two jive guys from airplane. She's hilarious.
0: Like the whole way through the film, Gail's my favorite character in the film. And Ken, he also has a grown man's voice. I mean, the grown man's just du- obviously dubbed Ken, but he's doing a kind of high pitched kids' voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Ken. Like, I'm six. Hi, I'm, I'm Ken. I'm a little boy. <laughs> and yeah. He's it's... Like, uh, and then he calls his dad an asshole, and it's hilarious.
1: It is funny. Like, it, like Their exchange is funny. They get home, Robert speaks with dread about an upcoming party. Yes. Jessica chides him for inattentive parenting. Gail almost poisons her parents here, the only reason that she doesn't is that the uh, the bowl smashes.
0: That's right, yeah, she's uh, pouring all sorts of weird stuff into the food.
1: Yeah, this is moments away from being a much shorter film, but uh, the bowl breaks and uh, nobody gets to eat the arsenic, regrettably, and onward we do go. <laughs> See, that's, um, that's just weird uh, Yeah, I agree, I think that that is actually like really strange and it was only when I revisited him my notes just there that it occurred to me just precisely how strange I think that is um, However, Jessica has some, uh, some news to impart, she is pregnant with their third child, Robert, already an established prick, admonishes her for what he immediately assumes is her missing birth control
0: Robert, he gets really distracted here and really kind of gets lost in his own world, gazing off into space because he's just trying to figure out how, exactly how and all the ways that this new child is going to ruin his life.
1: Totally, yeah, yeah. That's very much his kind of like first pass at this, which I don't think would be very comforting if you were the woman,
0: I, I having been on the other end of that.
1: Uh uh-huh. um, It's not the right response. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have said so. I've not been on the other end of that. But uh, yeah, no, that's not how I would have reacted. I think regardless of how I was feeling. Um, but. <laughs> Robert kind of keeps up this hot streak of uh, misreacting to things because we are immediately off to the party at this point. Jessica's violently ill. She uh, vomits blood and then says that the baby inside her is trying to kill her, which Robert immediately blames on fatigue.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's your go-to there when you when you see your pregnant wife spewing up blood. He's remarkably
1: unconcerned. But I think that that is that kind of ties in with him being like terrible at reading her when she's demonstrably a very troubled person.
0: Demonstrably a monster.
1: Demonstrably monstrous. Yeah, I'd be like that. Where's my keys? Where's my keys? Hospital. Party over. Party over. Get out. Hospital
0: he's just like oh oh, well, yeah, ex- oh, you silly lady why don't you have a lie down ah
1: uh, yeah oh you're just overtired I believe is uh, his exact words it's like fuck you honestly <laughs> um, <laughs> what Mitch uh, this film's yes. not fucking about we're maybe ten minutes in here
0: if that and we already have a baby we, we know she's pregnant and we already know that the baby's up to no good and trying to kill her
1: yeah and like immediately up to no good in loads of ways because in the next scene and it took me until revisit of my notes for this that I've realised just how early this film becomes an unassimilated sequence of weird things. Sure. <laughs> but um, yeah Jessica's sitting by herself and just apropos nothing, uh, throws an ashtray into Robert's beloved aquarium. At which point I feel like we are markedly shifting gears.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah. Well she decides right there and then Mitch in that toilet that she doesn't want to have that baby at all and then she gets a first glimpse of
1: Dimitri in the mirror. Aha, yeah. Uh, the, the looming spectre of Dimitri which we are going to get very well acquainted with as time goes on.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then continuing the film's hot streak of pinballing wildly from one thing to another with next to no care. We bounce off to the doctor's next, uh, who tells her that she's not actually seven weeks pregnant. She, uh, or certainly the baby, has the appearance of a three-month-old.
1: Uh, yes, aha. Uh-huh. So the first hint at an accelerated pregnancy uh, going on here. Shortly after this, she pleads with Robert for forgiveness... Uh, for smashing his aquarium. He's extremely blase about this incredible act of spite, mm-hmm. given how much of an arsehole he's been up to this point.
0: I don't know if I can forgive her for that because we're, we're subjected to watching those fish dying for quite a long time.
1: In a film that comes in at an hour and 50 minutes, I feel like I was watching that for too long. <laughs> more generic demonic shit at this point. Jessica's woken in the night by generic demonic grunting, uh, then levitates across the room again while young Ken surveys the scene from a distance. At this point, I was wondering if Ken was complicit. How, how so? Um, because both during the uh, the aquarium smashing scene and during the nighttime levitating scene, he is kind of like surveying the scene in a Dimitri style. You know, when you see Dimitri spying on Robert later, like he's kind of like surveying it from a distance and just being like, yes, yeah, good. Yeah.
0: And that's very interesting given how the, the end plays out.
1: I suppose so, actually, yeah. Jesus Christ, there's layers. Yeah, you wouldn't have known it. No, absolutely not. Um, Jessica's erratic behaviour continues. She uh, turns up in the middle of the night uh, absolutely drenched, not as though she had, like, had jumped into a pool or anything like that. Robert later speculates when he talks to his doctor friend George that it was more like someone who'd been out walking in the rain for hours. That's
0: right, yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, he uh, he confides in his, uh, his friend and family doctor George.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I would trust any of my friends with my medical history. It's
1: quite an interesting one, that, isn't it? I'm not convinced I would either. Um, Yeah, I think I would kind of prefer that doctor-patient confidentiality thing to be with a stranger. Yeah,
0: 100% agreed. My friends, they they, they like to take the piss out me, right? So, I mean, the last thing I want to do is go in there with something weird with my asshole or, like, I don't know, some kind of weird rash or something, and then have it cast up the next time we're steaming.
1: Yeah, or like if it'd gone to them with like an embarrassing ailment and then the next time we were all at a cocktail party, I'd be like, you know. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, he keeps a rational lid on the situation by talking about the fact that her pregnancy is hurtling towards its final act at a pace that can only be described as breakneck.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jessica meets with George's wife, Barbara. She bemoans her faltering marriage and uh, wishes for a large, graceful boat to escape on.
0: It's an admirable dream. I mean, she I mean, is living with those crazy children and her arsehole of a husband.
1: Like, while being pregnant with a third child, I think it's fair to say like that news didn't get the warmest reception, so I do kind of understand. <laughs> By the
0: way, George is punching.
1: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. I think that George looks like if you could imagine, like I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the Pokemon thing again. You know how I like the Pokemon analogy. Oh right. Okay, I kind of okay. feel like if it was a three stages Pokemon thing, and the second and third stages were Artie Ziff from The Simpsons and Donald Sutherland and Don't Look Now, the first one...
0: Would be Robert? Yes. Wow, okay.
1: At this point, though, uh, Jessica does allude to her troubled past. She doesn't say too much about it at this point, but she does mention Dimitri, and uh, kind of the fact that she was complicit in this very dark, shadowy thing.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah. Something Something sinister's going on. Uh, meanwhile, back at home, a towel bursts into flames, and uh, Ken wakes up screaming. His caring sister approaches. and uh, Jive talks about how... Uh, If he doesn't stop crying and go to sleep, he's going to have a real bad trip, man.
1: I, uh... (laughs) Yeah, I want to talk about this a little bit. This scene is one of my favourites in the whole film, just because of the totally bizarre sequence of events and dialogue that happen. Because, uh, yeah, Ken wakes up in the night, as you say, he's extremely troubled. He also has a giant bruise on his chest.
0: Ah, yeah, unexplained mystery bruise.
1: Yeah, so uh, at this point Robert enters and uh, defuses the situation by calling his young daughter an idiot and suggesting that his son takes a suppository for his bruise.
0: Yeah, I laughed so loudly when he calls his daughter an idiot.
1: Uh um, But also, I also laughed when he was storming out of the room and and he was like, I said, if if he took a suppository, it'd be fine. <laughs> um, the doctor, Dr. George, reappears at this point to investigate. He is completely unfazed by this quantifiable evidence of possible child abuse, blames the daughter, blames Gail. Mm. Gail, understandably indignant about this, and says, Oh, you know, like, oh, anytime anything happens, everyone always blames me. Jessica turns around at this point and socks her daughter right in the face in full view of the doctor who has just espoused a theory that Gail may have hit Ken. Sure, yeah. And despite the fact he literally is in the room when uh, Jessica hits Gail, he does not change his hypothesis. He's just like, well, good night. Yeah, he
0: says his goodbyes and gets the fuck out of there pretty quickly. He's like, Oh, if I haven't seen it, it's not happening. This is far too complicated. There's paperwork on the horizon for this. Get me the fuck out of here.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He just doesn't want to get pulled up in court. That's what's going on there. Yeah, and poor
0: little fucking Gail. She's just had the taste slapped out of her mouth. And she's just like,
1: okay. Yeah, this this all feels very severe to me. Um Jessica at uh, this point, has decided that uh, strange goings-on have been going on for long enough and uh, says that she wants an abortion. This is we, we, There's been a passage of time. This is the next day in George's office. She, she wants an abortion. At this point, Dr. George is fairly up for the idea. He basically says if we can establish that um, this baby is a threat to your physical health and your mental health, then we can do that. At this point, we hear the demon in voiceover uh, take hold and uh, Jessica performs a spectacular 180 on the abortion subject says that the baby must be born and that she will kill anyone who interferes with that process my favorite thing about this is that obviously this is this is a crazy thing that's happened like like knowing nothing about demonic possession or anything like that or what else is going on like you've just watched someone have a real episode in front of you i think before they flip-flopped so violently right in front of you on that subject
0: yeah yeah and i mean i don't know what more george wants to see in terms of potential risk to herself physically or mentally To warrant this abortion because, as far as I can see, she's a real danger to everyone around her, including herself.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I completely agree. Um, What I think is funny is that after she storms out of the office... Now, again, to go back to the fact that we we both agree that um, a family friend being your doctor is an inherently strange situation. However, George does try to do the right thing, does try to get a hold of Robert and uh, explain to him that this very erratic behaviour has just happened right in front of him, wants to make him aware. So he, he calls him at work and says, can I speak to Robert Barrett, please? And they're like, no, uh, you can't. Sorry, he's in a meeting. Would you? Uh, would you like to uh, leave a message? Maybe we can. Call- we can get him to call you back. And he's like, no, forget it.
0: <laughs> Not even a. I, listen, I can't go into specifics, but please, please, I am his family doctor, and it's imperative that he really? calls me immediately. I can't give you specifics because of the Hippocratic Oath. Um, but please pass on this, this, this extremely important message.
1: Have him call me at his earliest convenience.
0: He could just wait, because two scenes later he tells him the exact same information in a beautiful restaurant overlooking the sea.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah and um, in between we do see jessica stumbling around the street her mental turmoil is soundtracked by some ambient funk and then she eats a banana off the ground yeah yeah i mean i, I don't know <laughs> how
0: many times i've wandered the streets in quiet contemplation mitch and then stopped to eat trash off the ground
1: yeah you know what if i had a pound cravens yeah. in it we've all yeah exactly well you know we, we've all considered it or done it at our darkest moments <laughs> uh next up ken uh, we're back at home uh, we're back at night Jesus Christ this really is just kind of like a montage it's like a grab bag of demonic stuff isn't it this film
0: I mean yeah it's a few years before Portgeist, but there's a lot of Portgeist in here it's a few years before The Omen but there's more than a smattering of The Omen in here as well
1: are you suggesting that this was a uh, cultural touchstone for I think films? it was a
0: trailblazer
1: mm-hmm. uh, Ken and Gail are back together at this point well not immediately Ken talks to an unseen entity to begin with uh, that we know is real because it rocks in a rocking chair
0: sure sure it's Immediately you know that this is this isn't a benevolent presence.
1: No, however, Gail does enter the fray at this point. Ken tries to explain to her that she is in the presence of a malevolent force. Uh Gail, as she always is, is profanely sceptical.
0: Uh yeah, profane is right. She uh she swears all the time. She's got a filthy mouth, this kid.
1: She really, truly does, doesn't she? Really, truly does. Uh, she goes off to try and forage for some food for them uh, while she's there, right on cue after they have a conversation about sentient dolls. Um, a doll reanimates to... Oh, I say reanimates. The doll was never animated in the first place, presumably. But the uh, a doll causes some mayhem through telekinesis so at least a doll possessed by a demon loves some shit around Uh, i quite like this i think that this scene is like endearingly chaotic and at this point we're at around about the 45 minute mark in the film or something like that and i think that like as a kind of like a scene where the stakes aren't particularly high but some mad shit had to happen to just let you know that we were like one more step along the road to proper insanity i think that this does that reasonably well
0: yeah, I think the maddest thing about this whole scene though is that rather than just going like, get a biscuit or a packet of crisps, this little girl goes into the fridge and takes a whole creme caramel.
1: <laughs> I was desperately trying to identify which dessert it was.
0: I've got your back, mate. I'm the dessert guy. It's a creme caramel which finds itself splattered across the walls before anyone can get a bite.
1: Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. which is a shame because it looked quite appetising.
0: In that weird way that 70s food looks, but it's... Just all a bit kind of flat and
1: pale. Um, But this entire uh, this entire situation, this entire set piece kind of puts Gail's gas at a fucking peep for a change, as does her mum's head, Linda Blearing.
0: Yeah, this is the first point where the film just decides, fuck it, we're making The Exorcist now.
1: Uh-huh. So, um, I'm not going to lie, right? This was, this was not the point where I was like, oh, I'm watching The Exorcist now. Right. For me. And in hindsight, blatantly quite obviously that should have been the point when I realized that I was now watching The Exorcist. Right, okay, sure. <laughs> I'm quite happy to hold my hands up and admit that I should have been savvier on this point. But That's I was like, ah, oh, Linda Blair stuff. But at, that, but at no point did I then go, oh, is this going to rip off The Exorcist now? And as a result, I think it gets away with a multitude of sins, uh, in my notes at least, uh, <laughs> for the next little while. But uh, Robert comes home at this point to find Jessica being weird again. She's kind of sitting up in the kitchen, talking very strangely sounds deeply resentful of her children which honestly I get I think that I understand what you're saying about Gail being a fun character but I think if those were my kids I think that would be cr- like like quite a demanding situation really and I mean like, I don't think that I'm cut out for parenting at all anyway it freaks me out I realized this um this week that I think that I am now if my maths is right I think I'm now halfway between the ages that my parents were when they had me and see when you just when I draw that as a parallel to my own life it's like that's Horrifying. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say they did a good job, but I don't think that that's for me to say.
0: I think they did a fine job, Mitch, as far as I can see. Ah,
1: thanks very much. But yeah, I just, thought, I don't remember thinking I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm not in the same ballpark as being able to take on that kind of undertaking. Also, there was two of us.
0: That's right. shit.
1: God, like two normal kids would be demanding enough. But yeah, uh, Ken, who uh, at six years old, I'm saying six, I'm terrible at guessing the age of children, <laughs> but yeah, Ken, who like you say, speaks like an old man talking in a falsetto and uh, Gail, who is this constant jive-talking, full-mouthed, say, 10-year-old. I have no idea. How old are these kids? What's your estimate? You'll know better than me, really.
0: Um, I'm going to say that Gail's somewhere in the region of 12. Okay. And I would put a couple of years onto your estimate again for Ken.
1: So it's somewhere about eight, maybe? Something like that?
0: Somewhere in, somewhere in that ballpark. Also important to mention about Gail is that she calls her parents by their first name.
1: Did notice that. Yeah, which I did to my mum grown up. Really? That's interesting. How would you feel if Nathan called you Andy? I'd
0: be okay with it. I think I think it's kind of understandable. Kids hear grown-ups calling their parents by their first names all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's generally a phase that kids grow out of, but I, mean, I certainly did. I'm not going around calling my mum Audrey anymore.
1: No, I very much call my mum mum and my dad dad. But also, I never had a spell where I called them by their name. I never went through that phase. Uh, she gets very intense with Robert. At this point, I mean, I don't like Robert. Uh, that like Not by a long chalk do I like Robert, but I am starting to simpare sympathize with him a little bit here because uh he's having to put up with a lot of erratic behavior and a lot of kind of uh Mm. kind of like fairly aggressive behavior and kind of like oblique Stuff and it all feels a little bit. I, I don't know. I feel sorry for him, despite the fact that I think that he is a total dick. Also,
0: you've got to feel like at a certain point that he's not really the man that Jessica loves.
1: No, uh, we'll get to it. But yeah, I do agree. I think that there's I think there's a certain affinity for uh, Dimitri that um that rears its head a little later. That's fair. But Robert heads upstairs at this point to the bedroom where uh, all the furniture is stacked in a cupboard beside a guilty looking doll, with the exception of a uh, lopsided lamp. And was this point. In the first watch, in my notes that I wrote down, that this has been a uh, succession of unassimilated weird shit for quite a long time. Sure. <laughs> it does slow down around about this point, though. It kind of. Yeah, aha. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, about that. So I'm not really sure how I feel about where this heads for the next like 20 minutes or so. Because. Obviously, we've watched a bunch of escalatingly creepy things happen, and there is a point where even in something this kind of nonsensical, uh, this has to kind of bunker down and get its plot for me to be.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: And I think that um, this, this film hits a very identifiable kind of like, not slump, I think that that's unkind, but I think that um, it does, like the pacing turns on an absolute dime in the name of just kind of like layering on narrative. Uh, First of which is uh, Robert has an encounter with Dimitri who follows him around the city briefly to the sound of apocalyptic saxophone.
0: Yeah, this is where it becomes kind of like The Omen. Like, when there's in The Omen, there's the confrontation with the priest who kind of tries to say to him, look, in case you didn't know, your son's a son of the devil. If you get the opportunity, stab him. Uh Um, It's kind of that discussion here, although it's like, look, might be something weird with your baby. Might even be possible that the baby is not yours and is a demon. Uh Um, But hear me out, you're going to want to let it be born.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is kind of cool, actually. I think that it does kind of do something quite cool and subversive, because you know that Dimitri is um, kind of, like, out to uh, make sure that this demon child is born unobstructed. That's right. Um, And we know that Robert is getting increasingly suspicious about this baby, so I think that, like, at this point when you see because it's kind of it's very heavily seeded in the scene that uh, robert's going to get wiped out by a truck yes uh and that doesn't happen and i think that it's really cool that because i it's just because i mean and you know how bad i am at seeing deaths coming in films in general uh when this happened i was like oh i see i was like dimitri is going to bump off robert at this point because he's kind of like obstructing the route to this kid being born and therefore uh, Dimitri kind of like getting his new his new lease on life
0: see if so, that had happened yeah I would have been convinced that the omen had stolen from this film
1: that's fair that's fair but I think that like I was so dead set that that was going to happen that it was kind of cool and kind of surprising that what happened in the end of course was that uh, Robert almost gets hit by the drop but Dimitri saves his life he pulls him out of the way
0: that's right yeah and then he goes on to tell him uh, and I quote no doctor can explain her pregnancy it's unexplainable <laughs> which I thought you, was funny
1: you didn't need to say both of those things <laughs> But uh, yeah, he does kind of try to kind of like transparently or kind of like vaguely, obliquely allude to the fact that she's uh, she's incubating a devil spawn. Like immediately, initially, Robert's response is telling him to fuck off. Dimitri's basically like, um, uh, hear me out. I'm trying to save Jessica here. So Robert does do that to his credit at this point I do think that like the rules that he sets out are pretty strange when he's like Jessica can't go far from the house which is maddeningly vague
0: yeah yeah I mean what what are we talking here are we talking should we have a tag on her
1: is it like a house arrest bracelet situation can she go to the shop can she cut the grass
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it but send your pregnant wife out to cut the grass (laughs)
1: compassionate to the fucking last over here (laughs) Um, (laughs) and also that yeah the child must be born Dimitri now leaves, this is nuts this is a crazy film that you've chosen yeah. here <laughs> i think that even when um uh, even when this film is uh, dealing in the uh, kind of like minutiae and nuts and bolts of its story it's still kind of doing constant weird things and i mean like jessica's condition is deteriorating at this point um which could have been established in any number of ways it didn't have to be her two eyes rolling around in different directions
0: no it didn't have to be that but it's fucking cool
1: it's good that it is that yeah I'm certainly not going to contest it as a choice I far think it from looks it. Great. uh yeah I think actually just in general like that, that that's a great effect it's really really good um but quite a lot of fancy footwork from the demon at this point between this and the flickering lights in the doctor's office and all this kind of thing you know we're, we're shifting gears here it's getting like you know there's a little bit of showmanship creeping in it is also at this point where I was like oh I see it's the Exorcist because this is the uh the moment where Jessica vomits green slime yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that was the red flag moment for me. I, I now understand, of course, with that twenty twenty hindsight, that I should have caught that earlier. Well, Warner Brothers
0: sued this film. Did they? Yes, and Warner Brothers won.
1: Uh, I'm not surprised by either of those two revelations. No.
0: Yeah, so um, I guess it's a matter of record then that this was this film was deemed to have uh, stolen from The Exorcist pretty blatantly.
1: Yeah, I want to make a couple of points here. Yes so, for one, and this is true of The Exorcist as well, and it's one of the reasons why, um, obviously, me being me, I didn't see The Exorcist until I was an adult. Sure. I, I I like The Exorcist. Um, I don't find it to be particularly scary and I think that one of the reasons why it's very much a personal taste thing, but I always think that demons being vulgar always sounds stupid.
0: Okay, okay. no, but remember Mitch, you if know, you'd seen this in 1973 when there was nothing else like it, it would probably have been It would scary. just got the shit out of me. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: this is probably, and this is tr- true of The Exorcist as well, but see you know this whole uh, your mother knits socks in hell stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm more talking about The Exorcist than Beyond the Door. If you'd seen The Exorcist, yeah, when it came out in '73, it would have blown your mind. But,
1: but but yeah, but like similarly in this film when she's like, oh, you know, whatever it is she says, she's like, fuck off, you whiny little turd, or whatever. It's like I always <laughs> feel like demons would be scarier if they said demon stuff rather than like um, things that are vulgar in the language of the time. Oh, it's like but it's like but you're like a four or five hundred year old demon. Where did you learn to talk like that? Right. What's demon stuff? I I don't know. Maybe. I guess not modern day vulgarity.
0: But then doesn't, like, and and the Exorcist, Regan talks in Latin and Aramaic.
1: Yeah, that's scarier to me yeah that works better that functions better to me than kind of like calling somebody's ma hoor and all this kind of thing like (laughs) i'm kind of like yeah no i'm not really mad for that it's like you know that kind of sounds like something that somebody would shout at you on a playground
0: do you not think it's creepy though when demons take on someone else's voice like uh, obviously jessica starts talking like gail
1: yeah it's kind of a different question but yeah i think like that that's better certainly it's more effective to my mind um also I would love to say at this point that the actress that plays Jessica, whose name I did not learn, I would love to say, because I think at this point in films like this, where you have this kind of like this central character who has to go through all this kind of stuff, it's such a common praise for it to be like, and it's oh, it's a fearless central performance. You know, it's like, it's like this very committed, very bracing, uh, staggering kind of arresting central performance, unencumbered by ego. I don't think that any of those things really apply here. Excuse me. I think that she's like, all right. But I think that like, yeah, I don't know. There's elements where I kind of feel like it's like, ah, you could have tiled that up a couple of notches.
0: I have to kind of agree with that. Yeah, yeah there are moments where she could just go just a tiny bit further down the, the the kind of rabbit hole of madness. She get, it kind of pushes it a bit further in the final scenes, I think.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. Um, it doesn't feel like enough of a gear shift here, though. I think that it is asking too much of me to expect me to be scared by her.
0: Right, okay.
1: I guess that's what I would say. Next up, we have Robert talking to Dr. George about his encounter with Dimitri. And uh, we do get this kind of, like, voiceover flashback of Jessica talking about Dimitri. And I think that this is kind of a recurring theme for what happens going forward in this. But if this was my partner talking about her ex, it would freak me out. She was just like, oh, how could you not fall in love with him with all of his worldly-wise stories? And like, oh, behind his... uh." His, uh, his sullen or shy retiring exterior was this tremendously magnetic personality. If my current partner was sitting saying that to me, I'd be like, God, if you love him so much, why don't you just fucking marry him? Because <laughs> he fucking died. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dimitri shows up at this point. Um, at this point, I do feel like the pacing is flagging a little bit. Again, similarly, in a way where if this was me and it was my partner and my partner's ex, he was like, the only way that this situation can be solved is if you move out for a few days and I stay here. I'd be like, really? The only way?
0: Well, everyone else, apart from robots pushing for hospitalisation, probably sensibly.
1: Uh, yes, I think that, I think that uh, all things being equal, that would be the sensible choice here.
0: But we know that Dimitri's got ulterior motives. He's, he's all about ensuring this baby be born to, I guess, to appease the Dark Lord. Yeah,
1: aha. Uh-huh. And he does eventually convince Robert to, uh, to leave. Dimitri stays to kind of oversee proceedings. Uh, Robert, in the final insult, wanders out into the street and is uh, ambushed and then relentlessly pestered by someone playing the nose flute.
0: This is hilarious as well. Like when he's trying to walk down the street and just like those musicians are popping out every alleyway and doorway and just like writhing all around him.
1: Yeah, it's very very odd. I think it's amazing. It's very funny. Like it is very funny because like uh, when it's just the nose flute guy, it's funny enough. But when it basically amasses into being like this entire band, you're just harassing him in the street for no reason. Um, apparently playing the score that is playing to this scene as well. Very very funny. To my that's
0: mind. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Uh, George and Robert have a very heated altercation about what to do with Jessica at this point. George has some very pertinent questions about Dimitri, uh, which, which nobody answers. It's a hilariously melodramatic sequence in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I love it.
1: Uh, when they're both just screaming at each other for being insane. And uh, yeah, like I say, George, very understandably, is like, why are you defying medical advice to uh, follow what this complete stranger is telling you to do?
0: Um, yeah, that's uh, very pertinent indeed, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of what Donald Trump does
1: Yeah, very true, like kind of ignores experts but then says something that sounds quotable and everyone's like, oh yeah, that's what I want, it's that
0: one And uh, believes uh, the word of what is essentially some kind of witch doctor like that mad woman that was talking about demon sperm and- Yeah, oh my god, yeah,
1: yeah, great shout, definitely yeah, Shout out to Dr Stella Emanuel <laughs> We got you. Um, while this is all going on, uh, George goes on a late onset exposition hunt, which we'll get back to.
0: That's right. Yeah, but he's also been allowed to run some tests on Jessica, and he's got her connected up to a. I've just got a brainwave machine.
1: Yeah, this is hilarious. I mean, like, we're not too far away at this point from getting our kind of final vision of uh, Jessica, and yeah, she does have all this like all this stuff hooked up to her head, and it is very, very funny. Like, it's it's like it's it's really, really stupid, and it's it's really, really amusing as
0: well. I actually think she looks quite unsettling in this scene when she's got all that stuff stuck to her head.
1: Um, re- really, I think that, like I think that as it goes on and it gets a little bit more kind of like straight demonic, I think it kind of worked for me a little more. I think of the like on first look, I was like, oh no. No, I don't like that. That doesn't work. (laughs) Um, That's funny. Because she does plead with with Robert, who comes back at this point, for freedom. He lets her go. This obviously goes terribly. He gets demon-tossed into the wall. She goes full exorcist at this point.
0: Yeah, she's like please let me go. I'm really uncomfortable, sweetheart. Please, please. And he's like, "Right, okay." under's a straight jacket and he's immediately immediately attacked.
1: Absolutely instantly. Uh yes, and uh, and I mean like yeah, we 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 also we all saw this coming. Dimitri then yammers in voiceover about time going fast. That's right. And George is still digging around trying to find some more information. Uh, starts talking to a mysterious woman mm,
0: yeah 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 this came out this, this was a weird one Yeah.
1: Uh, yes this is like when you say weird I mean like this is absolutely airdropped in yeah she's your exposition uh, um, vessel here yeah very late in the day for an exposition vessel we're about 15 minutes out from the end of the film <laughs> so yeah I kind of appreciated the fact that it wasn't just on the hour mark like everything else is you know Like, um, but yeah equally as arbitrary when she pitches up and says that um, Dimitri's been dead for quite some time That's right. in the car crash that we saw at the beginning While this is going on, of course, Dimitri, alive and well, ostensibly, in the real world, in the present day, uh, has a telekinetic chat with a devil who reminds him that time is of the essence and it is time to extract this baby with his bare hands, which is horrifying to me. (sighs) He's called into the bedroom. It's birthing time. Jessica levitates. The demon instructs him to remove the baby. He gets soaked in slime in a kind of womp womp moment because at this point we find out that this has all been a massive lampoon and Dimitri's going to die anyway.
0: Yeah, the devil and Dimitri have a pretty toxic relationship.
1: That's a fair assessment, in my opinion, I would say. Yeah, certainly one that is uh, that is based on a lot of lies and deception.
0: I mean, I would go into any deal with the devil with a, a fair amount of scepticism. I mean, yeah, I... Well, He is the father of lies. <laughs> That's what he's known as. Like, <laughs> That doesn't set alarm bells ringing in your head. Like, you, you kind of, like, yeah, you deserve to be punished by the devil. I'd be like, right, can I just get a couple of days, I'll get my lawyer to read this over, because, I, I don't know, man, this, I, I just want to be sure, I just want to be sure that you're not going to turn around on me with some kind of loophole, and ultimately you own my soul.
1: You just be like, I thought it was just a name, like, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment.
0: That is not just a name, that is a fact. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, this has all been a deadly, demonic, satanic lampoon. Mm, mm. Uh, so Dimitri dies, unfortunately. George returns, discovers Jessica and Devil Baby, and then we flash forward to a seemingly idyllic future.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes? Are you just going to brush by the fact that this baby that's been born's not got a mouth? <laughs> What's
1: wrong with you? Um, Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I love that he like pulls the blanket back, takes a look at the baby, realizes it's got no mouth, and he just goes, Nope, it covers it nope. back over <laughs> the blanket. He's like, Nope, fuck that. I'm not prepared to deal with that.
1: And that's plenty. <laughs> um at this point, yeah, we do flash forward to uh to the future, an unspecified point in the future. Jessica has realized her dream of uh, climbing aboard a big graceful boat. She is there with uh, Robert and the children. Um Ken, uh, it's so weird to say Ken and not be talking about a 50-year-old man, but Ken um, throws a toy car over the uh, over the side of the boat in a piece of tasteless symbolism. Sure. Very poor taste reference to Dimitri's crash. He turns and faces the camera with devil eyes, throwing gas on the fire of my theory that he's been complicit the entire time.
0: Sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but yeah, his eyes are alive with a fierce green, like, weapons-grade plutonium glow, and we're done. Sure.
0: Yeah, just before that though, there's a moment, don't know why it's there, it could mean nothing because a lot of this film I think means nothing, but uh, there's a moment where Gale sees a striking young man approaching down kind of down the stairs on this boat. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And they exchange a smile, Now are we to believe that he is also a demon, or a devil, the devil?
1: To be fair, it might be the devil, baby, because like if he aged at the same rate that he gestated, mm. then he might have like um he might, he might he might have evolved into the kind of like Adonis that you see before you're there. Had a mouth though. I mean, you know, like like you know, like like maybe that just came later.
0: <laughs> like the rest of his body grew at an accelerated rate, and his mouth just didn't develop until he, like
1: yeah, until he was like fifteen. <laughs>
0: What happened to the baby, though? Like, what, did they just
1: fuck off and leave it in the bedroom? That's a great question, actually. Yeah, because I I kind of assumed that, and I was going to ask you this, actually, because obviously, like, as usual, I was watching this in a time-sensitive situation, and I was scribbling notes, and I just wanted to make sure that I hadn't missed anything. But, like, yeah, yeah, when when they flash forward to the boat, there's not a third kid there, is there?
0: Uh, no, 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 she's not even, like, she's not got a swaddled baby or anything, they've not, to my eye, anyway, haven't decided to raise this mouthless devil as their own child.
1: Um, um, to be fair, given his apparent propensity for extremely dark humour, uh, Ken probably threw him over the side five minutes before we cut into that scene. It's possible that the devil sent his acolytes to collect it. I guess that's possible. I mean, it doesn't explain why Ken has devil eyes. So, yeah, actually, now you mention it, um, in a film that is not known for its coherence... Sure. uh, ...the the end of this is especially incoherent. In fact, it is uh, teetering on the very edge of nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm willing to let that slide because this is a very, very fun film.
0: Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad.
1: I do think that, like, at the point that I identified um, a little while ago about where I kind of, like, the film has to kind of ditch temporarily this this escalating nonsense thing that it's been doing or this escalating kind of, like, creepy, generic, demonic things that it's been kind of cultivating in the name of kind of moving the story forward. I do feel like the momentum suffers in quite a big way for maybe about a 20 minute spell there and I think that like this is this is bloated for sure yeah um yeah, at yeah. kind of like a kind of like just south of two hours that's preposterous <laughs> um but it is really fun and it is filled with enough totally kind of arbitrary feeling really eccentric decisions that it never stops being fun
0: I, th- I just find that r- a really fun experience like uh, to me it's the fun brother of the exorcist like yeah the exorcist is amazing and you could go and watch the, the exorcist but it's an incredibly d- depressing experience until the last kind of five minutes when it's actually quite an uplifting ending uh, in a way, it's supposed to, it's, it leaves you with just a wee bit of hope that there might be something better but this film kind of ends on a downer
1: it's like a fun stinger downer sure, but it is a sure. downer all the same like that is that is certainly true So, yeah, I mean, would I recommend this to everyone? No. Would I recommend it to some people? Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Would you recommend it for, like, a bad movie night?
1: Yes. I would say that the people that I would have a bad movie night with would enjoy this.
0: Good. To me it's that. That same kind of fun as something like a Troll 2.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, if you take that as being the spirit it was intended, then I think that there's quite a lot of fun to be had with this, really.
0: I would say, though, also, uh, just to quickly quantify that statement, this is a better film than Troll 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it has an incredible soundtrack.
1: Yes. Um, absolutely teeming with very, very good, uh, very cool, very vibrant funk. Yeah. But with that, I suppose, uh, you having successfully won me over, we are done for another one of these...
0: Yes, we have gone beyond the door and closed said door behind (laughs) us and we are now looking towards the next thing.
1: Yeah, and that will of course be this coming Monday with um, another minisode on the way and it'll probably be a slightly strange one I would imagine because I'll be in Sheffield and uh, I'll be midway through Frightfest. so I'll hopefully have some recommendations to make on that one. Um, we'll also of course be taking a look at my 90s side quest, that box already ticked this week courtesy of your good self.
0: Yeah, yes indeed yeah.
1: And we will of course be taking a look at feedback, playing another round of Mitch's pitches, all that stuff and we will be letting you know what we have in store for you for next week's main episode and that is going to be a blast. Uh, I'm not going to lie we are probably going to be back in familiar territory but in a way that i think a lot of you are gonna really like
0: yeah it's, it's it's time
1: you know what i think it is time if you want to get in touch with us between now and then there are loads of ways you can do that of course facebook and instagram we are strong language violent scenes you can tweet us as well at strong pc and you can email strong language violent scenes at gmail.com and interact with other listeners on our facebook group the Chud Locker.
0: Yep. Yeah. And please go on and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. We've already got some lovely patrons on there, so why don't you join the number?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we are planning some cool stuff for the near future as well. So head on over check that out. In the meantime, though, we are back this Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Tonight I stand on the edge of eternity, where she left me in the darkness of despair. I've been turned away by heaven, now let the devil hear my prayer. Master. Fire. Grant this forbidden thrill. Bring me my earthly desire Then do with me what you will.